Welcome back to the Red CR Roundup for the week commencing August the 10th. We hope you had a good weekend. You enjoyed the blazing hot weather that is sitting over Europe right now. And uh, yes, I started doing a weather forecast at the beginning of the show now. That's a, it's a new spot. I didn't realise that was happening. It's just, it's just happened. And uh, welcome back to this week. Now, we've got a slightly different show for you this week because, of course, holiday season is here and our virtual studio crew are far-flung and travelling and having... Uh, a well-earned break uh, after a huge amount of work getting ready for Phase 1 and 2 going live with SFTR. And, of course, they're still going to be back and hard at it with Phase 3 in October and Refit, of course, which has been delayed. But a mere Refit, of course, is going to be another slew of hard work. So this week, I have managed to corner our very own Dr. Evil of Brexit, uh, CEO of Registrar UK and Head of Products in Europe, John Kernan. You are back in startup mode now. You've gone back to bootstrapping uh, a new entity in the UK, preparing for definitely disrupted uh, times ahead with Brexit on the horizon. Uh, and, of course, coming out of the, the COVID lockdown, all the, the huge changes that that's caused. So, you know, frankly, you're the man in the hot seat and it is going to be... Uh, an interesting journey. But before we start, sorry, hi, John, by the way. Good morning. Good morning. Great. So, yeah, you d- he didn't actually know this was happening, by the way. If you're listening to this, if he sounds confused, it's because, yeah, I just totally sprung it on him. Um, but before we do that, uh, we have to read a disclaimer, which we are, which I'm going to do this time. And while I do it, I will be accompanying myself with a little bit of slide guitar. This podcast is sponsored by Registr and features members of the Registr team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice and there's no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information within it, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registr as an organisation. There hasn't actually been any Brexit news this week, John, has there? There's been no major um, developments. Nothing's really hit the news. Everyone seems to be uh, enjoying the sun. Danny's analysis, Danny Corrigan, obviously was our our guest last week. Do go back and listen if you haven't heard it. It's a great show. Danny's always uh, good fun and brings uh, some real insights into uh, our weekly discussions. And he was saying that probably the UK becomes a sort of Switzerland-like partner. So do you think we're going to wind up perhaps with some sort of regulatory... uh, reporting that's not the same kind of thing, I suppose, but analogous to FinFrag and and what that represents as the relationship between Switzerland and the EU? Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly, because obviously what what we're seeing with EMIR is, um, you know, through the transition agreement, we're seeing pretty much uh, adoption of a pretty much facsimile of the existing European EMIR regulation, whereas... um, FinFrag was inherently different from from the outset, Um, you know, single-sided reporting, uh, for for example. Um, So you have those differences. And then also with FinFrag, Registrar, for example, had the opportunity uh, to be authorised through recognition. So there's an agreement in place between ESMA and FINMA that allowed... I suppose you could call it almost like passporting. So we we obviously completed a full application, 
but we were granted status as, as a foreign trade repository. So what that means is we're still able to deliver those services to our Swiss clients through the entity Registry RSA, our Luxembourg domiciled entity. For the UK, that, that was, um, it was clear that that wouldn't be possible from, from pretty early on. And, and, and so, as you say, we've had to, we've had to establish um, a completely independent legal entity. And as you said in your build-up, it does it does kind of feel like uh, going back to when I joined Registrar nearly seven years ago. You know, it's quite. I guess we're lucky that um, you know the people we have working for us um, are quite entrepreneurial um, by nature, and you know there is an element that you have to roll up your sleeves and and you know get involved in in, in many many different aspects. You've got that experience, of course, because you were there in the early days of Registrar. Well, exactly. I mean, to be honest, um, you know, for me, certainly my experience of, of working for Registrar the last six and a half years, and when I, when I joined Registrar, there were just two of us in Luxembourg. So you can imagine, we, you know, we had multiple hats um, um, during during that time. And um, it's it's been a massive education for me. And, you know, part, part of the reason so as well is because we do have this kind of collegiate approach. So I'm not I'm not saying you know I'm not saying we're we're a democracy, <laughs> um, but we do genuinely have a, a, a collegiate approach to um, analysing situations uh, and so on. And because of that, you know, I guess I've been involved in aspects that I wouldn't necessarily have been involved in, you know, my product management mandate or my business development mandate. So to me, you know, things like financial planning and stuff like that um so yeah i mean in in terms of my own in terms of my own personal development it it's been it's been great it's it's been a great experience and as you say it is somewhat easier the second time round because you know when you get obstacles coming up you know you're you have a better idea of um you know how, how to overcome I can remember bumping into you in uh, Canary Wharf in 1997, I think it was, 98, uh, while you were working at State Street. And you were working in custody uh, for quite a, a, a few years. So is it a really big step going from custody operations, which obviously touches on similar kinds of areas with, you know, counterparties and managing sort of complex cross-border relationships uh, and into TR? Is, do you think the TR line has become uh, something in its own right? Because it sort of was born out of custody banking a little bit, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like, like you say, there, I mean, there, there are obviously elements of overlap. So, you know, in, in my time um, in, in, in custody, you know, I was, uh, I've had various roles, but, you know, at one point I was head of operations. And, you know, my teams, we were, um, we were processing um, the cash legs of dividends. We're processing, uh, sorry, the cash legs of um, OTC trades. Um, we're processing derivatives um, to the fund accounting records and so on and so forth. So all of that helps you because conceptually you understand what's going on. Um, but, I mean, the TR business, the regulatory reporting business, I suppose putting MIFID one to one side for a moment because that was 
far less onerous. Um, you know, was was, and I guess to some extent, still is relatively nascent. So, um, yeah, there was there was a huge amount to learn um, when I moved across. But to to be honest with you, that that's actually constant because the regulatory framework, as we as we discuss, is constantly changing. So um, it's it's one. You know, custody has been going since, what, the early 70s. So custody is extremely mature as a product line, as a process, you know, the various operational processes, but, you know, behind the transactions and so on. Um, whereas the same is not true, um, obviously, uh, for, for regulatory reporting. So it is, it is, um, it is a challenging place um, to work. But as you say, I think now it has kind of developed into its own niche because you really need to be on top of it on a regular basis uh, because it's it's evolving so quick. Now, on that front, uh, because obviously on the Roundup, we do like to get our crystal balls out and look into the future. Uh, and I'm going to do uh, a switcheroo on that. And I'm going to look into the past, um, which is always significantly easier. Uh, and uh, you wrote a piece, actually. Uh, if I go back now, um, you wrote a piece called uh, Glass Half Full, um, which was uh, ICMA European Repo and Collateral Council General Meeting, uh, which was on March, March the 20th in Zurich, and that's back in uh, 2017. And your prediction was um, that it was going to go well. And you think that it was going to hit the reporting date. Uh, that's the only bit you got wrong, but you couldn't account for COVID, in all fairness. But you said the reporting date will come, it will start, and it's actually going to go uh, pretty well with most of the market participants signed up with vendors, ready to actually uh, get their solutions out there. You were right. You were right three years out uh, the SFTR would land and go well, which is uh, an interesting one because, of course, we know in the run-up to it, there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not this was going to be a, a sort of a, a, a Y2K moment for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, you know, I, as you said, I, I've attended many, many... Um, conferences on on the subject over the last two to three years and what became abundantly clear was you know the level of engagement so early on um was much much higher and you know there are lots of very smart people um looking um at the even the draft regulation in in fine detail um some excellent industry associations you know you you, you mentioned um icma obviously isla as well um i myself i'm, I'm, I'm the co-chair of the uh, luxembourg fund industry association sfdr working group so there are lots and lots of different industry bodies uh looking looking at the regulatory framework in in, in detail but also talking to each other and so just the general level of awareness and the level of detail um, I felt was uh, much, much higher. And then I think also the, there was the element that there were uh, specialist vendors in the space who um, clients were already using to uh, pre-match or to trade or to, or to reconcile with their counterparties. Which meant, you know, to to a certain element, the um, 
data scrubbing takes place upstream um, of the trade repository. So, so the data coming into us um, would be of an inherently um, higher quality. And then adds, adds on top of that to the mandatory ISO 2022 format, which we discussed before, in itself um, ensures um, a higher level uh, of data quality before you can even submit your report. All of those things combined, it just it just felt different to um, when email went live, where there was a kind of you know bit of a panic, and you know even even the month before it went live, there were still market participants who believed that um, you know ETDs would not be reportable in the end, um, or that there would be. Um, uh, you know, a, a long postponement, um, which uh, there was actually one postponement, but um, not a second one. So it just it just, it just felt different. Uh, there is also an element, isn't there, that actually building something from the ground up with a much better specification is more likely to yield a good result than something that, you know, is a bit evolutionary. Now, this takes us on to refit, because that's the next big moment that sort of comes up for the industry. Yeah. Uh, and refits are always harder than a new go-live in some respect, because you're actually having to go back and fix issues. So it's a big sort of, in a way, it's a sort of data reporting bug-fixing exercise to get refit you know, uh, running as as smoothly. Do you think there'll be more problems with that than, say, you know, wave three of SFTR in October and that and that kind of uh, sort of plan for event? I, I don't think so necessarily. I mean, with refit uh, for us, uh, it, you know, obviously we it, again it's in microcosm. It, it, it's kind of the same way we we would approach you know an entirely new piece of regulation, if you like. You know, it starts from the regulatory text and, you know, other ancillary communications we may have had with, with ESMA. Uh, and from that, we build our business requirements um, from the ground up. Um, and obviously, th those business requirements, you know, you're not building the infrastructure from from, from the ground up. Obviously, that you know, they're, they're a blueprint for uh, functional requirements to, to make the necessary changes to, to your existing platform. And there are other considerations there because sometimes you can, you can make a change to a certain um, data field on the platform and it, it can potentially have ended consequences for um, other data fields that aren't necessarily within the scope of, of refit. So obviously, you know, there's um, a thorough amount of um, testing uh, that we have to do also uh, before anything's fully rolled out into into production. And then with that, you know, we always try, and I think I think this is one area where Registrar is is, is genuinely good, is that um, we try to supply our uh, market participants with. Uh, you know, detailed guides and assistance and all of the information they need um, in order to implement those changes. The, the challenge we as the TR community often have is that the, you know, the final uh, specifications uh, for those changes, can, they can come on quite short notice from ESMA. 
we then have to do our analysis on top of that, you know, obviously before we can before we can produce the client communication. So I know sometimes for clients it, it, it feels pretty rough that there are major changes coming through with relatively short notice. Um, but I, I guess, you know, in, in that regard, we're all kind of victims of the, of the environment in, in, in which we're working in. I'm curious, right? So you're you're setting up um, the new, uh, 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 you know, UK entity. That means you must be having um, meetings with the FCA. Have they been virtual? Have you been having to socially distance with the FCA? Uh, Stratford, is it now? Uh, do you have to sort of stand on one side of the room and they stand on the other with masks on, or have you been doing it virtually? No, we've been uh, we've been doing it virtually, uh, and that you know that that works very well. Um, and I, I, I think from chatting to them, they might have a couple of people in the office on a, on a voluntary basis as, as indeed we could. So obviously, so you've been meeting the FCA virtually. One of the things that you have to deal with, presumably a CEO for a, a, a new startup TR, uh, that's going live in just a few months is your recruiting. So is your recruitment process virtual as well? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. So um, we can do, you know, with with the interviews, uh, definitely uh, with uh, video uh, because it really helps to to look into somebody's eyes when they're talking to you. Um, but yeah, the the recruitment process can can proceed like that. And although I mean, generally with recruitment, we like to do that in person. But also remember, like even even myself, you know. I have team members in Frankfurt, in London, in Madrid, in in Luxembourg as well. So actually, as an organization, Registiar, and as you know, you know, we have two big main hubs um, in Luxembourg and in Madrid. We're actually incredibly used to working virtually like that. I mean, so much of our um, our business, our project meetings, et cetera, et cetera, were anyhow done over video links you know in meeting rooms and to be honest with you you know the the new mobile technology that we've been using uh seems to work more efficiently than the uh you know the actual um what would you call it embedded infrastructure in in the meeting room yeah so it hasn't really been massively disruptive for us and as i say due, due to the nature of um our company anyhow um we're pretty used to working like that. Now, but here's the funny thing. I mean, in the digital age, um, I've, you know, worked with developers in Uruguay and Paraguay and, you know, uh, Argentina. I've had clients uh, that I'm producing content for on a regular basis, you know, uh, all over the world, whether it's in the, the US or Australia. Um, and so this, the sort of the virtual working from anywhere world uh, is well established. And of course, in the financial services community people have managed to work remotely through the lockdown in extraordinary circumstances very effectively and it's does it strike you as being slightly odd that we need a registrar uk based in the uk because presumably you could be spread all over the world and do anything or is there a there's a specific reason why you have to be there i guess um yeah i guess there is i mean look i i, I referenced before i guess you know, there, there are so many things to consider with Brexit that, you know, the fact that there isn't a memorandum of understanding between ESMA and the FCA, 
you, you know, one can completely understand, given given the programme of things that they're, they're having to look at right now. So, um, you know, we we had to establish the UK entity, and you know, there are uh, reasons behind that. You know, the regulator likes to see that you have meaningful presence. That's that's one element. Um, another element is, you know, in the pre-COVID environment, and you know, hopefully when we're through all this, it's actually a great comfort to our customers um, that we have people on the ground, in many cases, you know, a minute's walk from their office. So if, uh, you know, if they need assistance with anything or an urgent discussion, you know, we can literally walk over and see them. So that that's actually uh, very beneficial as well. So even given what we've said about being able to work virtually and, you know, the benefits of, of the Zoom calls and all that kind of stuff, it still obviously doesn't replace that personal face-to-face interaction. Okay, good. So are you, you're looking forward to uh, this kicking off. I'm certainly looking forward to uh, you being over so, you know, we can actually meet for real. And as you know, I've already um, put dibs on uh, Nick's desk and just a small portion of the current London facility to uh, have that converted into a recording studio for us uh, as we, we continue apace uh, with the development of the, the Roundup. Uh, and also, uh, the, I mean, one last thing is you're going to have to do a lot of travelling, right? That's going to... Um, you're going to be racking up the air miles, presumably, or, or are you a Eurostar man? Uh, no, I, I, I would tend to be, I would tend to be um, a flight man. I, I do like the Eurostar, but... Um, the problem with that is the connection from Luxembourg to, to Brussels is, is pretty slow, so it makes it an incredibly long day on, on the Eurostar. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I mean, pre, pre-voted, pre-COVID, I was travelling a lot anyway because, um, as you referenced, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and events. Um, I'm responsible for the business development, so, um, you know, I'm meeting clients and discussing um, our product features and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, since I joined Registrar, I've probably uh, probably been travelling fairly heavily. And a lot of that activity actually was already centred in London. So, yeah, I mean, I certainly will be in London uh, on a more regular basis, that's for sure. Um, But you know let's let's see what happens with this um with this situation and see how long it takes for for things to go back to normal if if they ever fully do Great, good. Well, we're looking forward to things going back to normal on the Registry Our Roundup as well, so you'll be back in the virtual studio next week with a Brexit update. Presumably something will have happened by then. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, I'm wondering, uh, now there's been, obviously, after the controversy over Danny's uh, steel-cut oats with berries as the breakfast choice, and there was some chat on LinkedIn. If you haven't seen it, do follow the chat on LinkedIn because there's been a bit of a backlash from uh, Tim over his uh, he feels as though uh, Danny should be disqualified because someone else makes his breakfast for him and he thinks that's a reporting error he's uh, filed a query with Esma to see if that's actually right 
Um, no, he, I, I think he's got he's got a legal background, hasn't he, Tim? So he's 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 very fastidious about these things. Seb Malik is checking with the Treasury, but he said that's actually probably right. So Danny, bad news. You might your breakfast might it's a you know your breakfast is a bit of a fin frag right now. Uh, so, as we're in that situation, John, have you changed your habits? Have you have you just started eating breakfast now? Because you know what, you really you really should if you're going to be uh, you know CEO. Do, do you want the honest truth? Yes. Do you know what I had for breakfast today? What? I had a bar of Galaxy Smooth Caramel. Wow. Okay, I'm not sure if that's better. <laughs> it's a chocolate bar for breakfast. That's. You see thing here. Do we have to say other chocolate brands are available? Yes, that's right. Um, you're not favouring uh, Galaxy uh, Smooth Caramel over the, the whole chocolate family that's out there. Uh, and I, I think you'll find that all the Registrar staff are interoperable with almost any kind of chocolate. So they'll work with whatever is good in your locality. There, there we are. Thank you. That's for the compliance guys. Good. Well, on that front, we're going to say goodbye from our special episode with John Kernan, CEO of Registrar UK and also head of product and also head of business development. John, uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, keep enjoying the sun and I'll catch you next week and hopefully uh, we'll have some Brexit news then as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Andrew. And stay safe, everybody. Yeah, have a good week. Have a safe week. And we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, Join us then for more uh, Roundup news and views. Okay, bye-bye.